Hi, I'm Luke. Hi, I'm Kaylin. And, and this, this is Death Row Dialogue. Dialogue. Uh, this is a true crime podcast where we talk about death row inmates from Texas. We go over uh, their youth and we go all the way to their last words. Thanks for listening. Yeah, so um, sorry for missing last week. Um, we'll try to notify y'all if there's, for some reason, it's going to be late or... If we're going to miss a week, just make sure that you're following our Facebook because that's the most up-to-date social media that we have. I'm ready. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. Let's go. Nothing you want to talk about? No. Okay. So today we are talking about Michael Wayne Evans. And he was born on November 13th, 1956. He is a black male from Dallas County. He's a former auto mechanic and has a prior arrest record of possession of controlled substance, possession of weed, and robbery, which seems to be very consistent to a lot of the inmates we've talked about. So, in June of 1977, Elvira, 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 I'm not really sure about the pronunciation, Guerrero, a 36-year-old pianist with the Second Mexican Baptist Church, and Mario... Garza left church after Mario was baptized and went to a city park in Oak Cliff section of Dallas. And it says um, there were some articles that said they were in like a romantic relationship and they were talking about getting engaged and they went to this park to kind of like plan their wedding after he got baptized and like they were celebrating. When Earl Stanley Smith, who was 23, shoved his pistol into the open window and ordered them to drive him and Michael Wayne Evans, who was 20, across town. They drove to a remote area in South Dallas where they robbed them of $40 in church donations and $12 out of Mario's pocket. They shot Mario five times with a 22 caliber pistol and shot Elvira two times in the head. Elvira survived the gunshots. So she was shot twice in the head and was still alive. And like, she kept repeating, God help him, begging for um, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Michael's soul. Like the one who shot her? Yes. So Michael Wayne Evans was the one that shot her. And she was just saying, kept saying, God help him, and like staring into his eyes. And Evans even stated that he was holding her hand and that she was looking at him. Then he decided to cut her with a carpet knife from the bottom of her chin up to her hairline above her forehead. And he said that he was trying to get her to stop talking. And then he slashed and gouged her eyes out. So a lot of anger. They then dumped the bodies into a South Dallas hayfield and covered them in bushes and leaves. The bodies were discovered four days later with a cylinder rod for a 22 caliber revolver with the bodies. So that is the crime. I don't know what that is. Um, I don't really know what it is either. A cylinder rod? Yeah. So I'm guessing it's a part of the gun. Yes. I'm pretty sure an integral part of the gun. <laughs> yeah. It, but why out of all the things? That was left. I think it gets into it later, but um, I believe it just fell out. Oh. Okay. And they couldn't find it. Right. And they just, I guess, didn't care enough to really look for it. Right. 
So they ended up over for this whole crime, they got forty-two, not forty-two, fifty-two dollars in cash, Elvira's watch, and Elvira's car. Yeah. Eleven days after the body were found, Elvira's relative, one article said it was her brother-in-law, saw Evans driving the vehicle around, and he pursued the vehicle. He started chasing it while trying to flag down a cop. And the cop and the brother-in-law followed Evans into apartment complex, but Evans was able to park and run into his apartment before the officer was able to stop him. And so they talked to the residents of the apartment complex and they used, you know, the evidence of what apartment it was in front of to try to guess which apartment it was in. And that led them to a, an apartment that belonged to Belinda Keys. And they talked to Belinda and asked if they could enter the apartment and she said yes. So, um, as soon as they got into the apartment, Evans flew out of a, like, he fled out of a back window and ran away. They found a snub-nosed 22 caliber revolver that was missing the ejector rod in a dresser drawer in a bedroom that Evans and his girlfriend slept in. And, um, Belinda told police that on the morning of the crime, Evans came home with blood on his hands and clothes, and that Belinda's boyfriend helped him clean blood and flesh from inside Elvira's car. When Belinda asked Evans how he got the car because she knew that he was a bum and, like, didn't have money to buy a car, he just said that um, he jacked some people and hit them in the head and tied them up and covered them in bushes. He just stripped, told her that's how they got the car. So some plainclothes officers staked out his house, and Evan returned at 43, not 43, 4.30 p.m. and was arrested. Evans confessed and put most of the blame on... Smith, the other person he was with. And he also confessed to a June 15th robbery and murder of Daniel Potts and said that Smith participated in that one too. But later, Evans recanted and said the police beat him up. So at the trial, Juanita, which was Evans' girlfriend, said that on the morning of the crime, she also saw Evans covered in blood and he said that he, quote, killed some Mexicans and the watch he gave her was a watch from a Mexican lady that he killed. So he's just like telling everyone that he killed these people. And so the evidence against Evans was a palm print from Elvira's car that belonged to Evans. And Evans told the police where he threw the car keys into some shrubs. But the police tried to look for them and weren't able to find them. But a maintenance worker that was trimming the shrubs a few days later found the keys and turned them into the police. So I was like in the area of where he said they were going to be. And the following is his first confession that was written down. Are you ready? So he said that Earl Smith picked me up on North Bennett and I was at school shooting a basketball. Earl said, Mickey, I've got a hustle for us. There was a man and a woman in the back seat. Earl was holding a pistol on them. I got in the front seat and drove where Earl told me to. I parked by a little church on the corner. Earl took them to get out. He took them a short distance and shot them. I heard about five shots. Earl got back in the car and gave me two $10 bills. I drove off. We went to Belinda Key's apartment on Bennett Street. Earl told me not to say anything or, we, or he would have done something to me. I drove the car around until the brakes went out. One day, about a week ago, I was driving the car with Earl and my girl friend Juanita. Earl had a friend with him. He noticed somebody following us, and he told me to let them out. 
They got out, but the Mexican kept following me. I drove south on the highway to Houston and lost him in South Dallas. Then I drove back to North Dallas and let Juanita out at her house. While I was driving where Earl told me to, I knew he was going to rob him. So that was his first confession. His written one. Mm. And that was on July 11th. Three days later, he did another confession. And this is what he said in that confession. On June 26, 1977, at about 6 p.m., I was at Belinda's house at 1612 North Bennett Street. Earl Smith came over and wanted me to go with him to get some money. I told him I would go, and then I got my pistol out of the dresser drawer. I checked the pistol, and it was loaded with six twenty-two bullets. I've had the pistol about two months. I stole the pistol out of the Cole apartment where I saw a couple of people moving. I waited for them to drive off with a load of furniture. Then I went inside the apartment and got the pistol off a shelf in the bedroom. I also took some champagne glasses from the apartment. Earl and I started walking towards a park near Ross Avenue. When we got to the park, he saw a brown and black Pontiac Firebird parked on the side, side street by the park. A Mexican woman was sitting in the driver's seat and a Mexican man was sitting in the front seat next to her. They were just talking. We walked by the car and looked it over. Earl had a pistol and I had a black, a hook blade knife. We walked back to the car and Earl stuck the pistol in the lady's face and I pulled the knife on the dude. Earl told the lady that we wanted to get out of this part of the town. The lady offered to take us and Earl told her that we would take ourselves. Earl told the lady to get in the back seat and I got in the back seat with her. Earl started driving the car and the dude was in the front seat. The dude started jabbering in Spanish and Earl told him to shut up. The lady asked if we wanted their money. Earl told her that all we wanted was a ride across town. The lady handed me an envelope with about $40 in it. I took the money and put it in my pocket. The dude handed Earl his wallet and Earl put the money out of his wallet into his pocket. I think it was about $12. Earl drove across town to a big field. Earl parked the car by a big tree. Earl gave me the gun as soon as the car stopped moving. The Mexican lady said, you don't have to kill us. We won't tell anyone. Earl looked back at me and said, you know what it is. I then shot the Mexican lady two or three times. The woman fell over in the seat and the dude jumped out of the car and started running. I handed Earl the pistol and Earl started running after the dude. Earl shot one, at, one time at the dude, but I think he missed. A few seconds passed and I heard two more shots. I couldn't see Earl or the dude. About this time, the lady took my hand in hers and I realized she was still alive. She was holding my hand and looking into my eyes. Then she said, God help him, God help him. My hook blade knife out of my pocket. I cut the lady from the bottom of her chin to her hairline above her forehead. Then the lady said, God forgive him. I cut the lady two more times in the face. I think I cut her eyes. I was trying to get her to quit talking. All of a sudden, the lady turned loose of my hand and quit breathing. I sat there in the car looking at the woman until Earl opened the car door. Earl told me to help him drag the lady out of the car. We dragged the woman over in some bushes. We covered the lady up with some bushes. Then Earl went over to the dude who was laying on the ground. Earl took the dude's shoes off. Earl had already covered the man up. Earl got the knife from me and went back to the man. I think Earl was cutting the man. So we tried to straighten the grass up so it wouldn't look like a car had been there. We started driving up to a church and Earl said the rod was missing out of the pistol. We parked the car and started looking for it but couldn't find it. Earl said it must have fallen out of the pistol when he shot the dude. We drove the car back to Belinda's house and went inside and got some rags to clean the blood out of the car. Joseph, a boyfriend of Belinda's, helped Earl and I clean the blood out of the car. The next day, Belinda gave me sore pills. I took four of the pills and got high. I told Belinda and Earl that I had killed the Mexicans and that we had their car. Earl was in the bedroom, laying across the bed. My girlfriend and I went to the store and got some beer. 
When we got back, Belinda and Earl were in bed making love. Juanita and I sat on the sofa and drank beer and smoked weed until about midnight. Then Juanita went home and I went to sleep. So that was his second confession. Totally different from his first confession. A little bit, yeah. A few things. Yeah. So he had way more detail in his second confession. He confessed in his second confession that he actually did shoot at least one of them. Um, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. Earl Smith received three life sentences. Earl's argument for appeal was um, the following things. He said that his Miranda violation, there was Miranda violation in regards to the statement about car keys. It said that he had got Miranda warnings like seven times in the span of three days. But when he told them about the keys, it was when they were transporting him. And so he said that since it happened in the car and he didn't get his Miranda warning right before he told them that it should be taken out and they shouldn't be able to use the car keys as evidence. Uh, well, even then, I don't think that they would really need much else after the confession. Yeah. Um, he said there are flaws in the jury selection, which we has been a common theme the past few episodes. He said that... Um, you know, they didn't give him people of his race, that they took people out of the jury because they didn't support the death penalty, things like that. There were various evidentiary rulings at the guilt and innocent phase that he didn't agree with. He said there was insufficient evidence to support the death penalty. He said there was disproportionality of the death sentence to the crime. And then he did a wholesale attack on the death penalty. So, um, in 1980, the Criminal Court of Appeals overturned Evans' conviction due to improper cross-representation of jurors. So, after reviewing, they did agree that the juror, the jury selection was not done correctly and that there was some discrimination on who the jury was. So, he was tried and convicted again of capital murder with a different jury. And this time, he got the death penalty again. So, it didn't... I, yeah. it, I mean, like... It mattered because he got a new jury, but it didn't matter because it's obvious he did it. Yeah. You know? Well, maybe he was just hoping not to get the death penalty. Yeah, maybe. He had a previous execution date of 8-15-1984. The paperwork was received late and he was returned to Dallas on a bench warrant and given a new date of October 17th of 84. The second date was stayed six days later by a district judge. So, Evans was executed at 31 years old on December 4th, 1986. He declined a last meal, and his final statement was, I want to say I'm sorry for the things I've done, and I hope I'm forgiven. I don't hold nothing against no one. Everyone has treated me well, and I know it's not easy for them. That's all. I'm sorry. And he was pronounced dead at 12.21 a.m. And then, as of March 31st, 2023... The TDCJ online offender search shows that Smith is 68 years old and is serving his time on the OB Ellis unit in Huntsville. And that is Michael Wayne Evans. Oh, wow. So only one of them got the death penalty? Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with the um, prior arrest record. I don't know if if, um, if Smith had a prior arrest record. 
but I think that was some of it. And, you know, a long time ago in our second episode, we kind of talked about this, about how we had, um, I can't think of what his name, John David Autry, I think, how he had a partner and the same thing happened to them. One was convicted with the death penalty and one wasn't. So it might have been that he, you know, pled guilty and Michael Evans didn't. Mm. I'm sure there were different things. You know, maybe Smith said that he would be a witness against Evans if he didn't get the death penalty. I mean, he got three life sentences. Yeah. But something that was interesting, so when you look them up on the offender registry, it shows you the crime and then it shows their sentence for them and when they're eligible for parole. And it said that um, he was eligible for parole in November of 1994. And then it also showed that he had an, a sexual, um, a like sexual assault charge was added to his list in November of 1994. So I don't know if he got out and did this crime and was sent right back, or I don't know if he maybe, you know, sexually abused another inmate or a guard. But that was added to his crimes. Interesting. Yeah. The one who was put to death? No, the one that had the life sentences that's oh. still alive. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it was because of the brutality of his crime. Like, I mean. Like the gouging? Yeah. And like, you know. And that's so sad that, like, you know, she was, like, begging for his life, you know, basically, and, like, praying for God to forgive him for what he's done. Right. And, like, he just responds with more violence. Well, that's what I was thinking. It was, like, he, it was probably out of hatred, you know, mm-hmm. like, that was something he didn't like already, or... Yeah. Or maybe it, like, made him feel, like, instantly guilty, and yeah. he didn't like feeling that overwhelming... Guilt. Yeah. It's terrible. And then, I mean, she tried to give him the money and, like, they were going to drive him wherever. So she must have, like, had a feeling already that they were going to die. Well, I mean, if somebody carjacks you and then they're driving you to a field. Was was it a field? I Um, thought it was, like, by a church. In his first confession, he said a church. In his second, he said a field. Oh. And in, like, the narrative I got was that they were buried in a hayfield. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes more sense. So, I mean, if you are taken to a field, you know you're probably not living. So, they just did it for the car, basically? I, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, they had to have had, like, some other... Thing they were gonna do right. I maybe they thought they had more money on them, and then it was too. Once they realized that's all they had, they took the car and the watch. Yeah, but they kept driving the car. He said he drove it until the brakes didn't work. Yeah, after. But I mean, like maybe in the time they were like, oh, they have more money on them. They're just not giving it to us. So they kill them and then search everything. They don't find more money. They're like, well, we'll just take the car and the watch. I mean, they're not going to be able to really get rid of the car. So they're probably thinking, I might as well drive it. But, like, they're... And I know, it, like, it's in Dallas. It's, like, a big place. Like, what are the odds that the brother-in-law sees the car, 
realizes it's her car. You know? Yeah. It would have to be distinct in some way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that's all I have for you. We will have another inmate next week. So, we will talk to you then. Bye.